0: What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Dino Demopoulos live from Toronto. What's up, Dino? What's up, Mark? Good to hear from you. We are going to talk about getting into strategy today from music because we share a little bit of history here, but you've been involved with the music scene for a long time and you're still active in it, and you've also been involved with the strategy scene for a long time. So we're going to ask the question, What's up with the connection? What are the overlaps? How do you make the music thing work for the strategy thing? Right. What's the answer, Dino? <laughs> I'm joking. Tell us a bit about the music background first.
1: Okay, I guess many, many years ago, sometime in the 80s, started out with my brother's DJs, mainly in the hip hop scene, like I scratched DJs way, way, way back. Did that for a while and then transitioned to club DJing. We write for a magazine, helped to edit a magazine, started a couple of record labels, Ended up traveling around the world as, uh, you know, guest DJs in some amazing clubs. Had a number of residences here in Toronto all the while, you know, getting through university and everything. Mm -hmm. And then continued doing that for quite some time until a good friend of mine that was working as a strategist said he was also DJ. He said, oh, you know, by the way, I think you'd really, uh, you'd make a good planner. You should get into strategy. And I had Mm -hmm. no idea what it was. So he kind of introduced me to it and started to explore the whole other, you know, parallel universe Mm -hmm. as a strategist. So spent a lot of time doing music. You know, as a DJ, producer, writer, kind of like all facets of, you know, mainly underground house music. So I did that for a long time.
0: Did the person who suggested you might make a good planner did they react to the fact that it's because you just stood at the back of rooms watching people or even avoiding eye contact of the people while also <laughs> simultaneously analyzing them with your spider super sense
1: that's right yeah i think i think he was he was actually a researcher his name is Jeff Peacock by the way and i think he he really appreciated that as dj's one of the things that we do you're constantly you know surveying and looking at the crowd and trying to understand what makes them tick and, and what they're feeling and how you can maybe shape that in a, and influence that in a way. So mm-hmm. I think he, he saw that connection really uh, really clearly. And I think combined with, I think, a curiosity and like a real curiosity to figure out what will make people react and what will make people feel something. Mm-hmm. I think he, he made that link, which was uh, pretty amazing to me because I, I'd never really considered that what I did as, as a DJ had any application outside of a club really i thought it was just something that that we did and i never thought oh yeah maybe this can actually these these skills and what i'm doing here can apply somewhere else
0: yeah and it's not to say that all djs would make great planners but i could see some (laughs) of the behaviors you know I, i think the stance of a dj to be around people but outside of them at the same time is is a little bit like how many planners are not all and then the DJ has to, especially back then, it was hard to work, mm. which is not to say it's better or, or worse now, but it was hard work and you really had to go out of your way to find good music often. And you were making patterns with music for patterns of people while exploring the history and origins of the music you were playing. So you were studying this thing very specifically as well. And I think those skill sets are totally adaptable to the world of planning. Are there any other skill sets that you think a DJ has that are useful?
1: Well, I think, I mean, those are those are really important. I think being able to combine, as you said, like the the research and really digging in and understanding a culture, its history, what makes it what it is, how you can contribute to it as a creative person. So researching it and really understanding the depth of a culture to be able to contribute it in a meaningful way, that's a pretty high bar to hit as a, as a planner mm-hmm. and a strategist or or what we do in advertising or, or, or any creative business, right? Otherwise, I think, yeah, having that, the, the ability to be part of the experience and part of the scene, but also be detached from it, kind of in yeah. an anthropological way almost, is really useful. So you're part of the party, you're part of the experience, but you're also removed, right? Which is a, a, a way of observing and participating at the same time, which I think is super useful for how to think about audiences and how to think about challenges as a strategist. And then synthesizing, I think you're right. I think synthesizing a lot of information and synthesizing, and indeed you're doing it in real time, right? Like what's working, what isn't working? Um, what am I going to play in 20 minutes? What am I going to play in an hour? How am I going to program this whole set and synthesizing it into a coherent journey or coherent story that takes people somewhere is, yeah. I think, uh, really important. So, a lot of times with people getting into strategy, I'll encourage them to think of the journey and the story arc of how we're presenting strategy and how we're presenting ideas. So they're not static and they're not mm. boring, but they're interesting and nuanced and take you up and down, right? Like take you through an experience. And I think thinking of things like light and dark, tension and release, uh, those are really important concepts as a as a DJ. And I think they're super important concepts in creative storytelling.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it. Because uh, like, the DJ has to pace the making of meaning in a room of strangers. You can't just... Hit everybody with an hour of rapid beats without mm-hmm. giving them some kind of pause or silence, and then bringing it all back together. So there is a certain pacing, and I, so I totally relate to what you are saying. Exactly. Not, not, not that I was a DJ, but I played music in front of yeah. people sometimes. But I totally yeah. relate to that. And then I think the DJs often quite good, especially when there were more vinyl record stores or independent record stores. They were mm-hmm. often not very extroverted, but good at the quiet conversation. They'd sort of sneak into the record store, find what they were looking for, very specific with the knowledge that they were trying to get or exchange and always yeah. often a quiet conversation, which is a bit plenary.
1: Yeah. There's a certain nerdiness for sure about being a DJ that I think is, uh, you nerd out pretty quickly on digging and finding and finding music and also the like curating a specific sound and curating. Um, And I would never call it that while I was DJ, but now like in hindsight, I guess like curating a, your, your own brand, your own unique sound. If you're going to stand out, if you're going to, if you're going to be effective, you have to, continually build that voice, right? That brand for yeah. yourself. That's so going to be different than everybody else. And then that takes time. And then when, when you're doing that with a crowd, introducing new ideas, introducing new music, people are inherently resistant to it. So you have yeah. to find a way to yeah.
0: keep Slide them here. happy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's really tough to do, right? I think that it's, it's something I think about often, when even when we're presenting new strategies or, or ideas to clients, that they're going to be inherently biased against novelty, inherently biased yeah. against new, new ideas and, and things that are truly creative. So how do you frame it up so that you reassure them and they feel comfortable that it's going to help them and not scare them to death?
0: I like that. You just get to slide it in, maybe pull slide, it back. Yeah, and then yeah, a few yeah. songs later, you're like, boom, here it is. Yeah, here, here, yeah I think here. There's also something similar between the DJ and the planner where the DJ needs to find that voice as you were saying yeah. and, and have a point of view even if it's not their own music. And mm-hmm. so there's an artistry even if they're not necessarily the capital A artist. Exactly. And I, think, I think a planner can play that role as well where they're helping someone, often helping other people, you know, spike the ball.
1: Yeah, that that's exactly right. And I think, The music that I'm most familiar with and have played is house music. Mm. And, you know, house music was born out of um, music in Chicago that was played at a club called The Warehouse. So if you think of what the DJs were doing at a place like The Warehouse, they were creating a certain sound. And they were creating an environment for creative people, producers, to make music for. And that music became known as house music. So as a DJ, your, your job through that lens is to create you know, the soil, the fertile soil for, for ideas, for creativity and music. Mm-hmm. And that's what a DJ does by synthesizing everything that's actually not their own music making it into something, a sandbox that then people can create for. And that's like literally exactly what we do. So Mm -hmm. when we're at our best, I think as strategists, is creating that sandbox for creativity to flourish and to really be at its best. And they're not about our ideas per se. It's more about the sandbox and the environment that we're creating for those ideas.
0: Mm -hmm. How do you know if you hear a song... Whether it's house music, what are the attributes that have stayed intact over a long period of time? How have they shifted? How have new subgenres popped up? Right. But what, basically, what is house music? How do you recognize it?
1: Right. At its most basic, house music is you know four on the floor drum beat with almost anything on top. So as long as and what I mean by four on the floor is a consistent you know bass drum, kick drum on every measure. So that emerged from disco, and house music essentially is. The evolution of disco which most of it was four on the floor but four on the floor electronic music is is i guess the foundation for all of uh, all of house music starting like in the in the mid 80s and of course it's evolved in in hundreds and you know thousands of subgenres, and a lot of pop music today has a lot of the um the form of house music Th- that's about it in, in some ways house music has become pretty ubiquitous you know pop music and a lot of different genres but essentially that's what it comes down to four on the floor rhythm
0: Mm. Did you ever mess with Happy House, Rotterdam Hardcore or Gabba in the nineteen nineties?
1: No, no, that wasn't so much a thing. I think when I say we, i uh, I DJed with my my twin our twin brother, so it's uh, me and my brother that have DJed and never on that like more ravey hardcore end, more on the um, you know, underground house, deeper house techno. Soulful house music, more, more yeah. of that style than like yeah. a, the the hard hitting Rotterdam or hardcore uh, gabba sound. That, that was pretty crazy. That stuff was nuts.
0: What what makes something deep house and what makes something French house?
1: Hmm. So uh, deep house is more moody and atmospheric and soulful. French house, for the most part, has become I think synonymous with uh, a certain kind of feeling that comes from sampling of mainly disco stuff for for house music. So. But Deep Post is still, it's really popular. It's as popular as ever. And it's not, over the years, you kind of, I've kind of expected it to, to fall off and sort of fade away, but it's probably now stronger than ever, which is kind of cool.
0: Are there certain cities or regions or countries that you look to very aggressively to explore their, their music or their house music scene, or does yeah. that not matter so much anymore?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um, the, the current... The current um, Country, I guess, that we're looking to more than anywhere else right now, South Africa. There's a whole wave and explosion of a of a lot of um, amazing young producers from South Africa that are creating, you know, a hybrid of you know deep house sounds combined with South African rhythms and melodies and uh, vocalists and artists that is just it's really amazing and it's 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 kind of really blowing up. And interestingly, also combined with producers and mixing also with producers from Germany that are doing a lot of like deep melodic underground house and techno in a way. And those, mm-hmm. the convergence of those scenes is pretty amazing. And it's a fresh sound. There's a lot of house music right now that's very nostalgic and looks back. And a lot of the music coming from South Africa especially is really, really creative and super forward thinking. It's, and it's just as exciting as uh, you know music was to me like 30 years ago. So mm-hmm. to be able to feel that energy week in, week out, uh, the same way as I felt it like thirty years ago is pretty uh, is pretty special. I love it.
0: Yeah, and that's what you're chasing, isn't it? You're chasing yeah. that high, that like mm-hmm. kick in the brain. where you are like, oh, that's the thing. I just got it again, and it can disappear for six months to two, three, four years, depending on what's going on in your life and in music, yeah. and then poof, it's back again. It's like, yes. Can you name yeah. some uh, some people that 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 you love down in South Africa?
1: For sure. So a few producers, probably the most well known DJ, a guy named Black Coffee. He's blown up over the last few years. Does really really well. And then there's um, producers like uh, Kasusa, Argento Dust, Cairo, Kula Dasang, de the de Capo, the list goes on and on. There's uh, there are a lot of them. And amazing thing is just like back in the days when, um, you know, house music started with pretty rudimentary equipment. A lot of these guys are recording and using just pretty basic setups off, uh, you know, laptops and virtual instruments. That was uh, impossible to produce that kind of music even a few years ago because the quality wasn't there, but things are so readily available now, like virtual instruments and drum machines and mastering software and stuff that you could actually mm-hmm. do really, really good music with a pretty basic computer setup, which I think has also just allowed a lot of creativity to, to really explode. interesting because house music really caught on in South Africa in the early 90s when uh, Apartheid ended. Mm-hmm. It was a music that was kind of popular and um, it was the first wave of rave in, in Europe and, and the UK. So a lot of the kids at that time kind of adopted it and blended it with a lot of South African music. This is all going back in the early 90s. So the roots really started in the early 90s when apartheid collapsed and it's really taken taken hold in South Africa now. it's such an incredible scene. So, mm. And I still haven't been there, so just drive me nuts because we, we actually have to go
0: visit. Oh, there. I want to go too. I've been listening to some music from there as well recently and there's good people and people talk in such positive ways about a lot of, a lot of South Africa, how beautiful it is, like Cape Town, for example. Yeah. So let's then think about the skills that are involved with organizing and promoting events that it might translate to a strategy career what what comes to mind for you I'll mm. throw some into
1: I think uh, a distinct brand with a with um you know being able to to have something that's compelling and interesting and a certain look and feel that's evocative and draws people mm. in and has that mm. all the stuff we talk about in you know the kind of wanky marketing terms of that saliency. And th- those are really important. I think when you're doing it in the real world to attract a crowd and attract an audience, you don't take it for granted, right? You really pay attention to it. I was speaking recently to a planner that has done a lot of promoting and she opened a, a couple of restaurants here in Toronto and she was trying to get a planning and I encourage her to think of exactly the question you asked. Like think of everything you've done to develop a brand for these parties and these events that's going to be yeah. mysterious and want people to know more and to really make it attractive to them, you're going to be using these exact same principles mm-hmm. for building strong brands for your clients. So think about how important design is. Think of how important those assets for a brand will be. They're going to be really noticeable and, and stand out. And so, you know, those are, those are things you learn, I guess, as a promoter. And when you're trying to build a brand, in a cultural space that you can't really buy your way and you just have to kind of earn that credibility, right? When you're talking about yeah. promoting clubs and the club scene, you have to walk the walk, you can't just rely on, you know, a paid media buy.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. I like that idea. Uh, the first thought being a very easy and obvious one in retrospect that if you're creating brands as a planner or a strategist and you've put on events. You've created brands or a brand for your event. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think sometimes that seems too obvious and simple, but to own it assertively is important. I I think one of the challenges that people who've been in that DIY world can face as they move into a more corporate world is you can't just think of a thing all the time and then go make a poster and do it. You got to work out how to work into a system that might be quite resistant to new ideas. So that's like a, a little, uh, a little leap that I think has to happen. Did you feel that for yourself?
1: I think that's true. I think that, when you enter a more corporate environment, right, where there isn't one decision-maker, it's many decision-makers, and you kind of have to sell things through. That was a little weird in the beginning because I didn't really understand how things weren't more immediate and it wasn't more just direct accountability of the person you were like presenting to or trying to sell something to, I guess. So it's a whole other, and I, I, I'm not sure if agencies really think about that as much as as they need to, right, of what's the better, the best way that you can, Move creative ideas and new thinking through an organization. I think more often than not, they sort of just default to put the presentation together and like hope for the best. Yeah, I don't think they spend enough time trying to think about how to you know grease the wheels in an organization to to or or they just hope for a, a bold client that's going to buy you know interesting new ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd also say that promoting events, you are dealing with and talking about money. And you don't have a lot of money usually to put something on, so you have to be quite, uh, well, first of all, interested and passionate about what you're doing and you're not, you don't have that big church and state that can exist for a lot of planners, which I've experienced as well, where you're like, no, I, I just do the thinking. I don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny how some of these little short stories can pop up and be very useful in big meetings where you're like, oh, no, I did this thing five years ago, and here's how we did it. We earned a $1,000 or $2,000, which might be nothing compared to the the budget that the company in front of you is dealing with. but. It's a different kind of conversation when they're like, oh, okay, this person's put their time, money, and personal reputation on the line in public. And I think they can create a different energy in a, in a meeting. What, what else comes to mind as far as the skills of event promotion that can translate to planning?
1: I think working with different types of creative people is important. And understand, like when you're doing event promotion, you're, you are working with designers and you're working with other DJs, maybe other artists, and helping them to speak a common language. What's the vision for this thing? What are we all going to kind of hold hands to try to accomplish here? When you're dealing with, you know, egos of a creative department, that could certainly help so you understand how to speak to different types of sensibilities. As you said, when you're doing it for yourself, you have to, I think, also develop a thick skin. So mm. you're able to, you know, deal with the inevitable frustrations and shady people and all that kind of stuff. I think that mm. it, it helps you to have a, a strong point of view and stand up for yourself. You need that confidence to be able to defend it and put up with all the shit that's going to get inevitably thrown your way.
0: Yeah. Have you ever had to do with uh, gangsters?
1: Uh, funny enough, yeah, for sure. Um, mm. A couple of incidents. I haven't been to Russia, actually. Heard some interesting stories there from teachers that have gone friends of mine. Um, yeah, definitely. A lot, a lot of uh, man, this interview is gonna get me in trouble. A lot of clubs, a lot of clubs are definitely have that element of pretty shady people and, and, and gangsters. So it sort of comes with the territory, and you just have to, as a DJ, kind of put your head down, do what you got to do, and then and then get the heck out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that's probably the best advice I could give as far as that goes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't draw any more out of you on that one. I just, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've dealt with them. We had, we had. uh gangs try to extort us for security money when i was 18 19 and uh i think they all ended up killing each other a few years later there's a documentary on them after i moved to america oh that's fucked up totally yeah the other thing i think that's good about being a dj and event promoter is if you really want to do it if something doesn't work so well The point is book the next show, book the next Mm. gig. What are you going to do next? Go, 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 go. Right? You Mm. just—it's like got to just got to keep going. Like you don't have time to stew because there's so much music to learn and so many ideas to have. But you still want to appear in that room. So there's like a certain flow to it that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point. And and that goes to even d Right. You play a record and make clear the floor. But guess what? In three minutes, you got to put another one on and definitely that that idea of yeah you got to have the resilience and and bounce back and stay on on course and especially doing it you know again we've been doing this now my brother and I for oh man easily almost like 30 years so <laughs> that's a lot yeah, of yeah. a lot of ups and downs right so um parties that really suck and you just got to book the next one and you got you got to keep going and of course eventually if you have to you know cut bait and go in another, another direction you'll, you'll do it but yeah you need that resilience for sure and there there've been times that we were booked even today, right? We'll get booked quite a lot and then kind of dries up. And you just kind of have to keep going. And I think that kind of resilience is yeah. super helpful for a creative person and definitely for strategists to not, don't get too precious with it. I mean, yeah. have the conviction and get back up and go to the next one.
0: Do you have any good floor clearing stories? Do you know? What's the best or the worst? I don't even know how these adjectives are being used as I'm saying that. That's What's right, the best yeah. or worst floor oh, that you've man. cleared and what did you do to clear the floor?
1: Oh man, you know, usually what it comes down to is uh, it's not just misreading a crowd, but getting too excited, enthusiastic about trying something new. You know, most DJs will will try to introduce new music and want to kind of keep pushing things forward, and it's easy to overreach, right? So I think I can't think of a particular one, but just in general, every time that we've cleared the floors, essentially, either one of two things: too new and too much too quickly, like too many in a row, for instance. That's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. or you just flat out get booked at the wrong gig. Mm-hmm. And the promoters booked us for parties that we weren't really right for. So this is another good tip actually for strategists is that a lot of times we'll get booked and we'll ask the the promoter, like, what exactly are you looking for? And it would say, well, you just, you know, deep house. And we'll be like, yeah, but that's not, spe- you have to give me more references. Like specifically, what are you looking for? Give me some idea of what that means to you. So I think even for any, any creativity, I, I sometimes feel we don't even do that enough with clients. Like really spend time to understand like, okay, you want something that's going to be, I don't know, funny. Or you want something that's going to be, changes culture. Okay, what do you, spend enough time with them and really ask, like w- give me some references. What, what do you think that looks like? What doesn't it look like? Help me understand what your interpretation of that line is. I think often we just take it away after the client asks for something. And we think to ourselves, we shouldn't ask any questions because we'll look stupid or we'll look like... Um, we don't understand what they're talking about. And Mm -hmm. I think if you put your ego aside and just like really have a conversation of, no, you have to really help me understand what you mean by that because it can mean a lot of different things and Mm -hmm. we better figure that out now versus going down uh, and booking me for a party that I'm going to clear the floor because (laughs) we hadn't had this conversation two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Dino's about to drop some Wiggles music (laughs) and it's like, no. Not going to work well. What about dealing with requests at the DJ booth? What is it? translatable skill for a planner? What's an equivalent or something that's kind of, what does that teach you Hmm. as far as strategy work?
1: Well, generally, I think, you know, generally DJs hate requests. In general, they hate requests. However, I guess there's a good thing about requests. It's kind of like on the fly feedback. I think as a strategist, it's important to commit to a direction and commit to a point of view and have an informed point of view of why we should do uh one thing over something else however just because you've made up your mind about something or just because you're you've committed to something doesn't mean you should be closed-minded and doesn't mean you shouldn't use the opportunity uh another point of view or you know a request to at least at least entertain it and just think about it doesn't mean you have to do it so for instance if you're having requests maybe there's some validity maybe that's that is after all, somebody in the crowd that uh, could be just a focus group of one or they could be representative. So I think you have, to, you have to keep that flexibility open. Don't be too stubborn. I, I do see, and I've certainly been guilty of it myself, right? you, you kind of fall in love with an idea of how you're going to do something and you get stubborn and you don't want to entertain any other options. And sometimes it's a good reminder to stay open and flexible and don't get too rigid. Mm. And then you
0: set up a record label. Why did you do that?
1: It was important at that time, so this is maybe 20 years ago, right? To develop labels with our own brand. So there were two labels that we could release exactly the kind of music we wanted to, just to have ownership, as, you know, entrepreneurs to have ownership of what we wanted to put out, how we wanted to put it out, curate the, the reputation of brand itself versus just selling our music to other record labels. And it was, a good, it was not, again, a great experience of what it means to build a brand from the ground up. It's going to have its own uh, point of view, its own voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in good practice because there, you know, all the everything that goes along with it—promoting it, getting it out to influential DJs, signing artists, understanding what it takes to um, to stand out—all that stuff. So it was, it was a great experience. It's it, it's a really tough business to make money on running record labels. It's not a, it's not the first thing I would recommend for anybody, especially now. Um, it's just such a tough business, but it was a it was a really great experience, and we released. You know, dozens of records, and that was a fun thing to do and be entrepreneurs at the same time. So, a creative business where you're hustling all the time was a, a great experience, which I think also, again, really helped transitioning to strategy because you appreciate what it takes, I think, for a brand to be successful and commit. And we, we work with really big brands, obviously, in agencies that aren't exactly, you know, mom and pop shops, but the, the same principles are still there. And I think that mm. being able to understand when you're across the table from, Someone that's running a business, you know, you, you've kind of been there in your own way and done it, even in a small scale, creates um, a level of like you know appreciation of what they're also going through, notwithstanding the fact that they're you know huge businesses, but still still running a business and still you're kind of appreciated in a different way than if you're just thinking about their problems, I guess academically.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you talk to people who are really interested in a strategy career, whether or not they even really know what that is but they think they want to be in a similar job to ones that you've had they want to get in they've got similar experience to what we're talking about which could be in any subculture and you could replace dj and record label and event promotion with whatever you think is Mm -hmm. is close to that in a different subculture yet they might be feeling Maybe a little embarrassed or unsure about whether anyone will take that experience seriously. You know, How do you coach someone to make a strong case for themselves based on their background, not in spite of their background?
1: Yeah, they have to be very interested also in strategy itself, right? Like to really want to do it. So I think also starting point before even being able to think of how you're going to transfer the skills you yeah, have, I think you have to have an inherent curiosity and, and interest in brands and creativity and people and behavior and all that stuff. And I would encourage them to think of how they've, well, the things we've talked about, right? How they've applied thinking about business and thinking about building a brand and thinking about attracting audiences or, or how they influence and motivate people to act or behave a certain way and really tease those out from in whatever they've, they've done and, and, and think, about, think about how and when they've been successful doing it and, and how they did it and why it worked for them. Because I could be super useful as a strategist. And I remember when I was transitioning from that world music world to, to planning, when I was reaching out to people, I was always hiding the fact that I was a, I was actually a DJ at all. I thought it was kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And there was one, I had a strategy, I think, in Chicago. And she said, you know, that's actually one of the most interesting things you've done in in your background and you should really bring it to the forefront because it will tell people that you've, you've been in a creative environment, that you understand people in a way that a lot of people maybe don't. And from, you're seeing human behavior from a lens that's kind of unique. That's when I started kind of putting it together and thinking, yeah, well, I guess these skills are transferable and they're not just applicable in, you know, in a DJ booth. Uh, all these skills, of, as we talked about observation and creativity and storytelling and building an experience... Why they could actually be applicable outside of
0: this, outside Mm -hmm. of the world. So, it's funny. Like when I talk to people these days as well, who are trying to get in, I'm. I want to know the weird and interesting things that they've done, and then it's funny because you can see in their eyes that someone's telling them to join the dots in the way that that person did for you. Mm. Why do you think? People don't expect to join the dots. Like why do they keep certain things about themselves that are, you know, not? I'm not, I'm not talking about naughty things, but like why do they keep certain mm. things that they're really interested in, that they've committed their lives to? Why, why do you think they keep those things in private and try to present this professional self? Where does this come from?
1: Maybe just thinking that their passions aren't welcomed in business or, uh, you know, professional environment. Maybe just uh, the bias that they think business has towards everybody being the same cookie cutter versus embracing, you know, divergent thinking and uh, novelty. I'm not sure even if a lot of creative agencies really encourage and, and look for people that come from, you know, truly... I, I know some do, for sure, but but truly embrace and truly invite people that come from a lot of different, weird backgrounds. But I, I'm with you 100%. Like, I always look for planners and I always probe for, for exactly that, right? Like, tell me some of the weirder stuff you've done, places you've traveled, your own passion projects or... Do you write? Are you a photographer? What, like, what? How how do you explore the world and how do you understand people in a way that is going to be unique and different and, and distinct? Mm. And maybe sometimes they need to have, you know, a boss or they need to have someone's going to be hiring them who's going to actually give a shit. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't know if enough people <laughs> will, will give a shit to ask that question. So, mm. in some ways, I wouldn't blame it for for not maybe highlighting it. You know, and maybe bring it to the forefront.
0: I don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. <sighs> something that i just feel is a bit disabling about keeping these selves separate you know i didn't talk too much about the music stuff i was around in the agency world until my late 20s because there was a phase believe it or not kids where hip-hop wasn't cool for a while and there were a lot of like really poor stereotypes that especially in whiter offices you know you'd hear just people who weren't interested in hip hop mimicking hip hop in kind of a racist way, to be honest. Mm -hmm, And so I just, mm -hmm. I just didn't bring it up, you know, Mm -hmm. people would do like the W sign at me, yo, yo, yo. And I'm like, man, just, you know, don't patronizing, not cool, racist. Um, and yeah, it's just sad because I I see it with younger people now where they think they have to keep the things that make that the things that electrify them. They think they have to keep them somewhere else and that they have to fit in to get in. And the thing is, if you fit in to get in and part of your life is really electric, you're going to find your day life, as in the work, the job, kind of repressive. And, I, you know, it's way easier to say this and to, to live it and experience it. But if you can get in where you fit in or get people to hire you because of as much of you as possible, then I think there's an argument that you are likely to feel better about yourself and your work and have a fuller experience. But there's a ton of idealism in that, in what I just said.
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I, I would hope not, but I think so. And But doesn't mean they shouldn't fight for it. And I, I mean, I do encourage people to not park themselves at the door when they're walking to work because I think that's what makes what we do interesting, right? And if anything, I think we don't encourage that enough. It's a good challenge, right? To make sure that we're not going to let up on that. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Last last question. I'll make it a planning nerd question. What's up with the state of planning in Toronto, Dino? Let me force you to be a spokesperson on behalf of millions of people. What's up with planning up there? What's up with it? I don't know. I think uh,
1: (laughs) it's exploded a lot in the last few years. I think there are way more planners, I think, now in agencies than ever before in in Toronto. I think it's definitely a profession that a lot of people are moving into from whether formerly account people or even creative people that are moving that are moving into strategy, there are a lot of people that are, were in agencies now that are freelancing. Seems to be a lot of people that have left the agency world to either freelance or start small creative slash strategy, uh, you know, micro shops, which is kind of cool. Mm. It's way more popular with way more planners now than ever before, and it's probably a function of you know clients wanting that thinking from their agencies and they want more and more strategists to be applying you know the rigor to their business and not just uh you know buying creativity i guess so it seems pretty healthy right now toronto
0: Mm. well that's good to hear that's good to hear uh where can people find you on the internet
1: well my instagram my my, uh enigmatic instagram is chroma c-h-r-o-m-a but i don't really post it that much other than maybe stories once in a while Mm. and i guess linkedin linkedin although i don't use it that frequently Facebook mainly just for like party announcements and kind of stay connected to that world. Mm,
0: I need more party announcements in my life.
1: <laughs> and oh, playlists. Actually, i got to send you, I'll send you the mixed Cloud playlists. Yeah, please do. And there's some mixes under Dino and Terry on Mix Cloud too. That's another one. And SoundCloud, I guess those two.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dino, thank you so much for joining me today. I, you know, I, think planning is great when it's full of people with unusual interests and when they're allowed to explore those u- unusual interests as part of their, their work as well. And uh, I, I think a lot of people can benefit from hearing how you've translated your skills, even if we just post-rationalize 30 years of your history. Definitely, uh, be, Because I'm sure there are other people who DJ, who could basically take your talking points and use them in their next interview. <laughs>
1: so on behalf of I them, so, thank yeah. you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks, DNF. Peace. Take care. Bye.